All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn once more to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, and we're going to look just at a single verse uh, again, as we did last week, in verse number 14. I just had sort of experienced one of my greatest fears. I got up before and I turned my mic on, and then I went back down after making that last announcement, and I was singing away, and then I realized I had not muted it again. Uh, and so, apologies to anyone that, that heard that awful sound. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, strive for peace. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness in our day has fallen on hard times. It's not a topic uh, that you hear much about. And if you do hear anything about it, you hear it primarily spoken of in terms of it being an attribute of God, which is wonderfully true. It is an attribute that God alone, uh, in, in its essence, truly uh, has. Uh, but, but it is something that we are to strive for. We are to strive for holiness, personal holiness, in our lives. And it is in connection to that last part that we hear so little about it. When was the last time you heard a sermon uh, encouraging you and exhorting you to strive for holiness? Often, uh, if we speak of holiness at all, we speak about it in derogatory terms. Oh, that person, they've got a holier-than-thou attitude, right? And there is something wrong with self-righteousness. We're not saying that. Uh, but, but there's no problem really with striving for holiness. It should not be something that is denigrated or something that is looked down on. It should be really, as we're going to see, one of the chief pursuits of our lives as believers uh, is this idea of holiness. So let's think about it this morning. What is holiness? Uh, the, the first point is this. We want to define holiness. And I would say this holiness is separation, separation because of superiority, specialness, or sacredness. Holiness is separation because of superiority, specialness, or sacredness. And, and you can find uh, these main points on the back of your bulletin if you want to keep track uh, and, and take notes. Uh, fundamental to, to this idea of holiness, and, and it is a word that we need to define because it's not a word that we use a whole lot, uh, and, and it isn't readily uh, apparent to us. We talked about striving for peace last week with all men, and uh, that's something that doesn't take a whole lot of work to define. We have some idea about what peace is, but when it comes to holiness, we need to define it. The, the basic idea of holiness is being set apart or separated. The word literally means to be cut out, to be cut out. And R.C. Sproul has a, a helpful uh, uh, thought in his, his book, The Holiness of God, uh, in which he says the expression, a cut above. A cut above is, is really a good modern expression that helps get us on the way to thinking about what is holiness. It's something that has been cut out or separated, and, and it isn't just separated for, for any purpose, but it's separated. It, it, it's separated because it stands out. It's a cut above. It's superior or special. There's a sacredness to it. To be holy, then, is to be distinct or to be different 
in a good way. We've all met people who are different in not a good way, but to be holy is to be distinct and stand out in a good way. We use this, uh, some expressions, or we could probably think of some ideas that might help us understand what holiness is when we, we talk about a, a team who is, exp- uh, who is playing exceptionally well in some sport. We say things like they are really separating themselves from the pack. They're separating themselves. You see, they're, they're, there's a distinction that is being made because this team is superior, right? In a few years, that'll be the Bengals for those of you who uh, are, are keeping up with, with football. Uh, not so much now. Right now, they stand out, but for sort of bad reasons. Uh, an example I've often used, and you've probably heard it before, but, but sometimes, uh, you know, I know my mom had certain dishes uh, that were special. Uh, they, they were uh, unique. They were different from the common dishes. We use dishes all the time, and they all went in the cabinet. But then she had this set of special dishes, which she only used when we had company, and not just in any company, but really a special meal with special company. Uh, th- this particular, they were more expensive. They were better. There was a superiority in their quality. Uh, they looked nice. And so she separated those out from the rest of the dishes. And there was a, a cabinet with glass windows that she would put them up and, and display them. They were dishes, but they were separated. They were superior and special. That's the idea of holiness secondly this morning we need to understand that god is holy in fact uh, from isaiah 6 we see that god is holy 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 no other attribute of god is so emphasized as his holiness in fact many people say that that is the chief attribute of god and isaiah 6 is one of those passages that we draw from to make that assumption because nowhere else does it say that god is love 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 god is love uh, no, no, nowhere else does it emphasize God's attribute in that way with the three-time uh, repetitiveness of saying God is holy, holy, holy. When we talk about hol- the holiness of God, it really has a broad application. Oftentimes, when we think about God's holiness, we think of just simply moral uh, purity. The, the fact that God is unstained or pure. He, he has no sin. And, and we talk about holiness in that way. And that certainly is one of the central ways that the Bible talks about holiness. But what we need to understand is that God stands separated from everyone and, and everything because he is utterly special and superior. For God, this specialness or superiority touches everything about him, not just his ethical moral life, but everything about God stands out as being superior and special. He is utterly unique both in his being and his character that's why he is holy 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 every other attribute of God is touched by his holiness his love is a holy love his righteousness is a holy righteousness this idea of being separated or special often is connected with God's transcendence he is a transcendent being which means that he is far above and beyond anything in the created realm This is why he says in the book of Isaiah, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's no one like me. He's saying I'm I'm holy. I'm unique. I'm utterly different from anyone or anything else. I'm superior. He is a holy being because he is 
not created. He is the eternal creator of all things. No one else, no one else can be categorized with God on the basis of that alone. Everything else derives its existence from the Lord. God is the only one who stands as eternal. He is the creator of all things. He is distinct, therefore, and superior to everything else. He's utterly unique because he's completely independent or self-existent. Everything and everyone else in this world depends both on God and other people for their life. We are sustained by all sorts of things, all sorts of things, but God is independent and he's the only truly and fully independent or self-existent being. Therefore, he is holy. He's utterly unique. He's unlike any other being because he's the only being who is triune, three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's utterly unique. He is superior in his power. He stands infinitely above all creatures in his ability to accomplish his purposes. Listen again to that passage from Isaiah that I read, Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. How are you different? What makes you distinct? What makes you holy? And then he says, declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, at the start of something, I can say what's going to happen at the end, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Is there anyone else here who can say, I will accomplish all my person purposes? I will declare from the beginning what's going to happen at the end? None of us can do that. God is utterly unique and utterly distinct in His power, His ability to accomplish all of His purposes. God is utterly unique in His knowledge. He knows all things. There's no one like Him. We have knowledge. And, and so in that way, we reflect something of his image, but our, our knowledge is incomplete and insufficient. His knowledge is perfect. God is superior in his wisdom. He always understands what is right, and he always acts in accordance with that understanding. And yes, God is holy in his moral character. He's without sin. He is morally and ethically flawless. God never does what is wrong, and he always does what is right. And he often displays his holiness in this particular way by drawing a distinction between us human beings who are sinful and himself. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, he says, God is not a man that he should lie. He's holy. You and I, we're liars. All of us, every last one of us. And if you say you're not, then you are a liar, right? Uh, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Do you see the distinction here? He's saying, I'm different than you. I'm holy because I always tell the truth. And the same could be said about any moral category or any moral commandment. God could say, I am distinct. I am set apart. There's a separation between me and you because I am flawless. This is why holiness, as I mentioned earlier, is said to be the chief attribute of God. This attribute touches every other aspect of his being and character. Everything about God is holy everything about god is utterly unique and distinct and that's why he is holy 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 
third thing that we see this morning is that God confers holiness. That means that God makes other people, other things, and other places holy. Holiness, we said, is, is a separation because of superiority, specialness, or sacredness. Because God is holy, he makes or sets apart other things as holy, those things that have been associated with him. This is what I mean. Anything that bears God's name, that is used for God's purposes, or that is indwelled by God's presence, becomes holy by virtue of the fact that it belongs to God or God has been there. That we don't, we're not holy because we have holiness in ourselves. We're not holy in that way. We don't have natural, innate holiness, but we are holy because of our connection to the Lord. It's not because there's anything special in us or superior in any place or, or any sort of instrument or anything, but by mere virtue of the fact that God in some way has owned a thing, declaring it as His or manifesting His presence makes that thing holy. We understand this phenomenon, I think, in, in everyday life with, with human beings, and this is a much lesser way. Right? But there are certain people in history who have set themselves apart as being unique. Right? There are certain world leaders or scientists or, or athletes who have made themselves distinct and, and separated themselves by some great accomplishment, whether it's their, whether it's their gifting and, and intellect and their discovery or some great accomplishment that they have made. And, and when that happens, the things and the people associated with that person sort of become special, right? That's why all over the Midwest here, anytime, any direction that you go here, uh, you, you go east, in, back into Kentucky, you go west into Indiana and Illinois, you see all over the place, hey, Abraham Lincoln was here. Abraham Lincoln was born here. Abraham Lincoln lived here as a child. Abraham Lincoln had a law office here, right? Why is that? Those places are special because Abraham Lincoln was a unique individual. He separated himself. He stood out because of his great accomplishments as one of our greatest presidents in U.S. history. And so things that are associated with Abraham Lincoln then, by virtue of the fact that they are related to him and associated with him, become special. And so it is with those things in an infinitely greater degree Anything that is associated with God or that in some way has come into his presence is set apart as holy. You see, the reason that we can be called saints, holy ones, is because God has owned us. All throughout the Bible, you see this, this idea of things and people and places becoming holy because God was there or because God said, this is mine. So you remember when God met with Moses in, in the desert, right? God came and made his presence known in the desert, and Moses is there the, the, at the burning bush. And what does God tell Moses to do? Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Why is the ground holy? Because God is there. Is there anything that is less significant, less distinct, less important or more common than sand in the desert, right? That's one of the most common 
unspecial things that there is in all of our universe. And yet, when God comes and manifests His presence in that place, on that sand, the ground becomes holy. God makes things holy. When we think about the tabernacle in, in the Old Testament, the place of worship, when the Old Testament people came out of, in the Exodus, they came out of Egypt and God told them to build this tent. There was nothing special about an ancient Near East tent that, made, that was made by pre-modern people. It would have been pretty unspectacular, not too significant, right? And yet, when God said, I'm going to dwell in this tent and I'm going to meet with my people in this holy place and within the holy of holies, then it becomes a special and a unique place because it's associated with this holy God who is special and significant. The nation of Israel was not a special, a distinct nation. In fact, God says of the nation of Israel, you were not special, you weren't bigger than any other nation, you weren't mightier than any other nation, but what makes you special is that I have chosen you. And in Leviticus 20, verse 26, he says this, you shall be holy to me, for I am holy and have separated you. I have separated you from the peoples, from all the other nations, that you should be mine. You're holy, Israel, and the reason you're holy is that I've taken all the other nations of the earth and I've put them over here and I've separated you and I've said, you are my people, you belong to me, therefore you're holy. Things that belong to God, to our holy God, are holy. And that brings us to our next point, which is this, that God makes his people holy. You need to understand, as I've already said a bit about this, is that our holiness is derivative. Our, our holiness is not innate or natural to us. It is something that we derive from our connection and our association with God. God makes us holy. We're not special or superior in, in our being. And specifically, we are not ethically moral or, or morally pure. The, the only way that we can in any sense be holy is if we're made holy by the God who is holy. How does God make us holy? Well, I, I said anything that God owns or any time God manifests his presence or, or, or as we see in the Old Testament, God has things that are, are cleansed and that's exactly how God makes us holy. God makes us holy by, by first of all, owning us as belonging to him. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's writing to believers and he says, You are God's possession. Therefore, you are a holy nation. You've been set apart. You're distinct from the other people. Secondly, God makes us holy by dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within believers. And when that happens, we are set apart just like the dirt on the ground. There's nothing special about the dirt on the ground. There's nothing special about us. But when the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells us like, the, like He came and indwelled the tabernacle, we become holy by virtue of the fact that God's presence is with us. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple? You know, all that imagery of God being in the temple with his people, now that's fulfilled in you. God is living in you. You are God's temple that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You're holy because the spirit of God dwells within you. Thirdly, God makes us holy by cleansing us. I mentioned that in the Old Testament there were all sorts of rituals and washings and sacrifices and regulations that were meant to signify the idea of being purified or, or being cleansed. But you've been with us in the book of Hebrews, if you've been here, and you know that none of those things really accomplished or brought about true holiness. They were all given, much like uh, the... the uh, what we're going to participate in this morning, the Lord's Supper, they, they were giving a, given as signs. And the regulations and the washings and the sacrifices were symbols and signs of this idea of us needing to be cleansed and purified. But, but the, the true uh, fulfillment of all of those signs from the Old Testament was when Jesus came and he actually cleansed us by his blood, by dying in our place. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, we have been sanctified. And that word sanctified means to be set apart or to be made holy. Sanctification is the process of taking something that is not holy and making it holy. And so he says, we have been sanctified. We've been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are holy because God has owned us as his own. He's declared that we're his people, his possession. He's dwelled within us through his Holy Spirit. And thirdly, because he's washed us and cleansed us through the blood of his son once for all. And that is the only basis that we could have any kind of holiness. Fourthly, this morning, we need to see that God demands that his people walk in holiness. God demands that his people walk in holiness. Leviticus 19 verse 1 says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation and to the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. When God owns us as his people, one of the first and the greatest requirements that he places upon us is that we seek to emulate his holiness in our life. You be holy because you're my people and I'm holy. And since I'm holy, you be holy. That's the, the impetus there that, that is given. Now, what we need to understand is that commands for us to be holy uh, for, for believers are related specifically to that moral purity, right? We talked about how with God, holiness is broadly applied to everything about him. Everything about God is holy. He is a transcendent being that is utterly unique in all of the universe. There's no other being like God. There's no one else like him. He's the only one. He's utterly unique. And therefore, obviously, we could never be holy in that sense, right? We, we could never have that utter uniqueness in our being in essence as God does. Otherwise, he would no longer be holy. He would be common because there would be millions of, of beings like him. So, so we cannot have that kind of transcendence. But, but what we should do 
is we should reflect something of His holiness in terms of ethical and moral purity. When the, when the Bible, in particular the New Testament, calls us to be holy, it is a call to moral purity. That is, that we are to put off sin and to put on righteousness. 1 Samuel 2, 2, I didn't read this a second ago, but this is so important. There is, no, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. We cannot reflect God's transcendent holiness, but we are called to reflect something of His moral purity. Now what we need to understand is that our holiness, in the, in, even in this moral category, our holiness is always going to be imperfect, but it must be present and it must be genuine. You see, God's holiness in this moral category is perfect. He's completely pure. He is completely unstained by any moral perfection. He's never sinned. He never does what is wrong. He always does what is right. 1 John 1, 5 makes this very clear. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. There's no darkness in God. There's no moral imperfections. There's, there, there, there's no bad qualities or bad characteristics about God. If we do, the second thing we can see in that passage in John, 1 John, though, is that if we don't have holiness, we don't have fellowship with God. So it says in 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But in verse 6, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we're walking in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if there's not some sense in which you are walking in holiness, you don't have fellowship with the holy God. God is in light. There's no darkness in him at all. If you're over here in the darkness living in your sin, you don't have fellowship with him. We are to have genuine and real holiness. But the third thing that we can see in that passage is this, that our holiness is not sinlessness. It is not perfection. So again, 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say we have fellowship, him while, fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so there's two ways you can lie. One is to say, yeah, I got fellowship with God while you're persistently walking in darkness. The other one is, is to say, yeah, I'm in the light. I don't have any sin at all. No, no, no. You have sin, but your life as a believer should be characterized and should be marked by walking in the light rather than walking in the darkness. And that's a requirement. This is really God's plan for his people. It's been his plan all along. It's his desire and his plan for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There's a, a choosing here of God making his people distinct. I'm going to save, I'm going to redeem this people. There's a choosing, but notice the purpose of that choosing. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He didn't just choose you. He didn't just redeem you so that you can sit back in your sin and persistently walk in darkness and think, I'm going to go to heaven. No, he chose you with an intention, with a purpose, and that purpose is to make you holy. That's his goal for your life. His goal for your life is not to make you wealthy. His goal for your life is not to make you comfortable with material possessions. His goal for your life is not to remove all the problems in your life. His goal for your life, his plan for you, the reason that he chose you was to make you holy. That's what God's doing in your life. So holiness then needs to be one of the chief pursuits in, in our lives. Back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says that we're to strive for holiness, strive for it. It's, again, that's the same word. We talked about it last week. It means to follow after, to chase after something. And there were two things. The first is that we are to chase after peace, that we are to pursue peace. But here's the second one. We are to pursue, to, to, to chase after it, to make it our life's endeavor to be holy. We are to pursue holiness we're to do this because god has declared us holy he set us apart and now he wants us to walk and to live in that holiness what that means then very practically here is that we are to separate ourselves from the world that's what that's what the whole idea took to be cut out to be separated to be distinct or unique and there are sort of a lot of bad ideas for how to do that and, and church history, especially recent church history, uh, perhaps it's always been like that, is full of a lot of bad ways or wrong ideas for how you can make yourself separated from the world. The first is an idea of isolationism. You see this really in radical groups like the Amish who say we're going to complete, we're not going to have any technology, we're going to dress uh, in this way, we're going to ride in. And, and horse-drawn carriages and so forth. And their idea that what drove that, what gave birth to that idea, is that we need to be separate from the world. And this world is embracing all of these things, and technology is bad, and so we're going to sit back here and, and, and stay isolated. That, that same idea, in less sort of uh, pronounced ways, it has been prevalent in all kinds of, of groups of Christians um, usually like fundamentalists who, who think to themselves that, that being holy means sort of making yourself different from the world in all sorts of ways and, and sort of isolating yourself, cutting yourself off from sort of the mainstream. So we just kind of, we're going to bring our little group over here, our church, and we're going to have our own little world over here sort of isolated from the world. But listen, the only truly holy person who ever lived on this earth was Jesus Christ, and Jesus was a friend of sinners. He ate and drank with prostitutes and tax collectors. He did not come and isolate himself away from the world. And the Apostle Paul tells us that if you want to isolate yourself from sin, you would have to go out of the world, which is to say it is impossible for you to isolate yourself from sin altogether and from the world altogether. As soon as I come over here and I've got my own little group over here and we're going to be holy over here, what, what happens? 
guess what? This whole little group over here is actually populated by sinners who are not as holy as they need to be. And so this thing gets messed up too. Isolationism is not holiness. Weirdness is not holiness. Some people think being distinct means simply anything that the world likes or that the world does. I can't do that. So I've just kind of got to be weird. Uh, we have to dress in sort of out of style or ugly clothes. Listen, that ain't holiness. That's just being weird. There's nothing wrong with enjoying sports. There's, there's nothing wrong with technology. We don't need to isolate ourselves from those things. Thirdly, holiness is not externalism or legalism. And here's where it gets a little closer to home. Some make holiness all about a list of rules that usually they, they primarily focus on outward appearance. That way of, of thinking inevitably comes down to a list of rules, many of which are not biblically founded. They're just, well, I think we ought to not do this or we ought to do that. And most of them focus on sort of external appearance and not the heart. This is where we get the holier-than-thou mentality. Well, I've got my list of rules here, and, and in my list of rules, I'm doing them all, and you're not doing them, so I'm really better than you. And see, you can, you can see me doing all these things because you can tell by the way I'm dressed that I'm holy, and you're not. That's, that's the kind of externalism and, and legalism. There's two ingredients, and you need to watch for this. There are two ingredients in this holier-than-thou externalism or legalism. Uh, the first is that we make up rules that are in addition to God's rules. We make up our own rules. We say, well, God says this, but I'm going to go a step further and say, don't do this either, just to kind of protect that, right? So we've come up with rules in addition to God's rules, and then Secondly, I zealously keep these rules because it gives me a sense of being righteous or being sort of morally superior. You all go to movies, and I don't go to movies. Ah, I'm a lot more holy than, than you are. You guys do that, and I, I don't do that, right? I, I don't wear this, and you wear that. I don't watch that movie, and you do watch that movie. All those kinds of things. There are rules that are in addition to God's rules, and, and they give me a sense of moral superiority. I'm not going to take time, but the Pharisees were just legalistic. They had this externalism, this legalistic approach to holiness. Jesus said of them in Matthew 23, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but it ain't so. <laughs> you got this list of rules in addition to God's law that you're keeping and you're letting everybody see you keep those things so you can feel better and holier than now, but it ain't so. Matthew 23 says of them, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not externalism, and it is not legalism. But what we do need to understand that being holy, essential to that really is there, there are rules that you need to keep. There are commands given to us in Scripture, keeping rules and obeying commands is not legalism in itself. The question is, number one, is this really a command of God or is this my own man-made command or, you know, some other preacher or some other person's idea of what I need to do? Is it really God's command? And secondly, that our obedience to this command is coming from a love, a heart that loves God uh, rather than a heart that loves the praise of men and feeling superior. So let me just give us a few ways here that we need to 
pursue holiness. And we, we will sort of bring this to an end here. We, we must separate ourselves from the world. And so let me give you some things that this does mean. This isn't the sum total of what holiness entails, but these are some important things that uh, I think we need to hear in our day and time. First, it, it does mean that we must be distinct from the world morally. We are called saints. That word saints means holy ones. We are to be unique, distinct, separate. We're to be cut out from the world in this, in this moral category. And, and the, the problem is that modern Christians have this upside down. Most Christians that I see, or many Christians, let me not, let me not exaggerate here. I'll try to be holy. Uh, let me not exaggerate. Many Christians that I see, their mindset is, how much like the world can I be? How, how much can I make the world think that I'm just like them? I'm not different. I'm not separate. We're, we're just like them. And everything that we do in our, in our worship, in our dress, and, and the movies that we watch, and the way that we live our lives, and the things that we believe, we're just trying to say, we fit in. We're not, we're not different. We're not weird. We're not strange. We see you know, the fundamentalists and the Amish, and we say, we don't want to be like them. We don't want to stand out. So let's just go over here and blend into the world completely so that nobody knows we're different. They, they, they couldn't pick us out from a crowd, Right? Listen, that's, that's wrong. Many people desperately want to be accepted by the world, but do you remember what Jesus said? If the world hated me, it's going to hate you. If you align yourself with Christ, with our Holy Lord, if you align yourself with Him and you practice holiness in your life, you are going to be distinct. And there's no way around it. Many think wrongly, I, I believe, that that that's how we're going to win the world. If we can prove to them and show them how cool we are and how hip we are and how really we're not that different, then, then we'll win them to Christ. No, 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 no. Holiness is what's attractive to God's people and to those who have been chosen by God, not, not worldliness. Secondly, let me say this. We must separate ourselves from the philosophies of the world. We need to separate ourselves from the philosophies of the world. The world is constantly pushing ways of thinking and ways of viewing the world that are completely antithetical to the truth. Many Christians simply fall in line and accept this. And, and this has all the way from sort of academic, true philosophies about life, things like naturalism and evolution and critical race theory. But, but really what I'd be more concerned about for, for an average church like us is just the way that the world influences our thinking sort of at the popular level of thinking. The, the, the things that we adopt because this is what we hear in the music and this is what we see in the movies and this is what the friends that we grew up with, this is the way that they think. And so we just sort of adopt their philosophies and we're not distinct. Fundamentally, one of the greatest problems with, with modern Christians is that they think just like the world thinks. They buy into and they accept all of the ways of thinking and the premises of the world. You know, live for yourself. Follow your heart. Sexual immorality is really not that bad. It's natural. It's good. Life is all about accumulating stuff. Those are sort of the hot battlefronts in the Christian life for, in, the, in the struggle and the, in the pursuit of holiness. Those are the things that we need to battle against. The chief way that we become distinct in our thinking is through is, is accepting God's word 
as true rather than what the world tells us is true. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world. Be holy, in other words. He's saying it in a negative way. Don't, don't conform to the world. Don't, don't become just like the world. Don't become profaned or, or, or common. Instead, he says, to be transformed, to become different, to stand out, to separate yourself from the world. And how do you do that? He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way that you become holy, holy the, the pathway to becoming different is through changing the way that you think and you change the way that you think through believing the truth rather than believing what the world tells you. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. He's praying for his followers. He says, sanctify them, make them holy in the truth and your word is true. So how do we become holy? Well, we, we become holy by believing the truth. And what is the truth? How, where do we get the truth? Your word is true. If you want to become holy, you've got to change the way that you think. You can't buy into the world's way of thinking. You've got to trust the word of God and believe it. Thirdly, we need to separate ourselves from sinful relationships. We're not called to be isolationists. I already said that. We don't live in our own little hub over here cut off from the rest of the world. But we are cautioned not to enter into any kind of relationship or partnership that would draw us into sin, particularly with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's the idea, it's the picture of, of, of two oxen that are yoked up together. You can't put a, a big strong one with a weak small one. This is not going to work. They're going to be pulling in different directions. So we, as God's people, are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? How can you become partners with, with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. We're the temple. I'll make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate. Be distinct, be holy from them, says the Lord. We are not to enter into sinful relationships that would draw us away from the Lord. We're the temple of God. We should not be united in any kind of partnerships with unbelievers that would unnecessarily pull us away from the Lord and away from holiness. Fourthly, we must separate ourselves from sexual immorality. Our world is a world in which there is a sexual revolution going on and the idea is that is driving it is there is no limitation. There are no restraints in terms of sexual expression. It's all good. Every bit of it, anything that you want to do, any way that you want to do it, whatever, whomever you want to do it, however you want to do it, is that enough? I mean, there's just no limitations to it. And not only are there no limitations to it, there, there should be no rebuke of it. There's, there's no criticism of it. The, 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 the greatest ethic of this world right now is 
just live and, and embrace this kind of sexual perversion. And, and we are to be holy. We're to be distinct in that way. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, For you know what instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will for you is to be sanctified, that you become holy. That's his will for you. And that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's one of the chief ways that, that you need to be sanctified, is that you abstain from sexual immorality. And let me just spell that out for you. The, the only biblical kind of sexual engagement that is good, and it is good, it is created by God, is one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime. That is God's, that th those are the parameters in which sexual uh, experience can be a good thing and can be a holy thing, and it is a holy thing within the confines of marriage. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality, and, and therefore we need to abstain from that. There's a lot of different places we could go with that, uh, but, but we'll, we'll leave it there for, for time's sake. We, fifthly, must separate ourselves from the hatefulness of the world. In Ephesians 1.14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And he goes on to say in that passage, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. One of the ways that we are to be holy is when we reject hatefulness, the hatefulness of the world. And we talked about it last week, so I won't labor it this week. You see all the fighting. You see all the hatred in our world. We're to be different. We have been sanctified. We've been purified for a sincere brotherly love. Jesus said, all men will know you are my disciples when you have all of your theology down right. No, no, no. He said, you will, you, all men will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. The church, God's people, as a holy people, ought to be those who love one another. We ought to be marked by that. Why, why would we stand out distinct if we have love for one another? Well, because look around. There's not a whole lot of love in this world, is there? There's a lot of hatefulness. There's not a lot of anger and clamor and strife like we talked about last week. There's not a whole lot of brotherly love, and that's what we're called to. Let me just close this morning, and I'm going to invite the uh, deacons to come forward. We're going to observe the, the Lord's table this morning. Uh, but just notice back in verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. This is absolutely necessary for you. It's not because your holiness is the basis of your salvation. It is because holiness shows that you really are one of God's people. It's, it's the proof of that. And so we're to strive for it because without holiness, no one will see the Lord.